All right. Wayward episode zero. Introductory episode. I'm Kent. I'm Mark. Seth. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You go, you go first. Let's try this again. All right. Episode zero, introductory episode. I'm Kent. I'm Zeb. And I'm Mark. And we're gonna lay some groundwork for this project. We're gonna discuss kind of our vision for what we're doing here, what we're doing it for. Um, I had initially reached out to you guys about um, starting a podcast together because I was interested in kind of the uh, surge in new media resources that are kind of tapping into this sense that we've very quickly lurched forward into um, maybe a, a surreal or weird or even dystopian era in our cultural history um, and trying to make sense of that. And I thought that we kind of, I mean, I thought that we had some uh, unique resources at our disposal for helping uh, make sense of kind of our, the, the, the cultural issues that are uh, presenting themselves and kind of the things that have maybe emerged, kind of been hidden for the last for a few decades now. Yeah, and when you came to me with this project and this idea, and we started talking about what kind of shape it could take, I was really excited about the idea of trying to plumb the depths of the well of kind of weird weirdness that is contained in the uh, traditional religious backgrounds that we each come from. There's things out there that are exploring the weirdness of the historical moment and just the world of kind of weird culture and expression um, that's available to everybody, but not from a religious background, more from an explicitly postmodern and leftist liberal background. And I think those are missing out on what our traditions already contain in the way of um, resisting the normal and the everyday and finding this sort of odd and uh, frightening and creative aspects of kind of the unknown of the world. So it was exciting to see what we could find in our own traditions and then to see how those traditions and where they put us in the culture run up against the weirdness that's coming in from the outside, from the secular and the liberal and the postmodern world that we're finding ourselves in. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some value in belonging to a living tradition, right, as opposed to I don't know, relying strictly on historical research in that you have some kind of historical scope or uh, kind of, this kind of lifeline that extends backwards in history as, that allows you to have work creatively with precedent rather than simply relying on retrospective. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, I remember when uh, you reached out to me, like, I, I, I was very interested in the idea. I was a little bit leery initially because I think you opened with asking me if I was a tradcath. And... <laughs> mm, um, I'm pretty sure that's not true, man. I'm looking at the DMs. I bet you just deleted some of your stuff to try and hide it. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> May, I guess maybe you maybe you asked that a little later on um, as we we're trying to kind of figure out what we were doing. But politically, you know, I would consider myself 
reasonably far left. I think all of us in some form or another fall on the sort of leftward part of the political spectrum. Um, and so, you know, on one hand, the idea of, well, if we all just go back to medieval times or before Vatican II or whatever the orthodox equivalent of everything was fine <laughs> in 1950s Catholic America was, um, I, that just it just seems like an absurd non-starter to me. Uh, but at the same time, you know, starting to look at visions of the future and how do we build a better world and uh, the sort of expressly secular tools that uh, modernism and capitalism have offered us are just completely breaking down and people are finding it just entirely unsatisfying and useless. And, you know, I think a lot of what we see going on now is people have a fundamental human need to kind of experience the weirdness of the world. Um, this sort of fringe places where everything from personal ticks and, you know, eccentricities all the way up to God exist. And modernism has kind of tried to smooth everything out into a very nice, even quantifiable, understandable uh, spreadsheet. And it's, it, it's not working because that's just inhuman and it won't satisfy people's needs no matter how much money and distraction you throw at it. And people now are starting to react in need of this. And a lot of it is in very bad and unhealthy ways. I think Um, the sort of anime Nazis online being, I think a classic example of this, the people who just, they don't find any meaning in society. And so something vaguely weird and interesting pops up and they just seize onto it as repulsive as it is. I think they've become generally pretty repulsive people, but I don't think there's like anything innately wrong with a lot of people attracted to this. It's just the boredom and banality and drudgery of a society that they just flat out don't care about. And then someone offers them, you know, a chance to experience something fringe and weird. And because they've been told, you know, don't, don't look over there. Cause it's, you know, fringe is where non-scientific things happen. This is the, the first and only taste of like a different, a different it's experience. Thrill. It's thrill. Exactly. It's a thrill. Um, yeah. and so I think, you know, as you say, the, having a, you know, strong religious tradition, of you know, history of experiencing uh, the thrills that encountering the weird offer can help with a lot of those questions that I think an entirely materialistic perspective can't. Yeah, I uh, think we kind of have a unique a unique toolkit for helping deal with these kind of liminal periods in history. Mm. I think every person has an innate but uh, undeniable knowledge that not only do we live in a world where not everything is known, but we live in a world where not anything is known in its entirety, but yet our culture has a, almost everything that we encounter in our everyday lives kind of boxed into such a rational and like overly spelled out and just plain um, myth that we're meant to believe that at least what your everyday life is made up of is stuff that's all known and it's easily navigated. There's a plan that you can basically be handed in kindergarten about how to live your life, what to do and how it's going to turn out. But we all know, even just walking down the street, 
looking at a crumbling facade of a building or the people, just the very people we pass, that there's mystery everywhere. And so people are looking for a way to explore out into the unknown that is their everyday life and to go in weird, wild ways when there's not some kind of um, opportunity provided to them to find the unknown and the creative and the still open in their life. And that's something that religion at its best, I mean, most religions, not just our own, provide to people. And so that's, I think, what we have to, at least to try to offer. And I think our guests are probably going to be able to do that in ways beyond what we ourselves can do. I know when you brought this to me, Ken, yeah. the first thing I thought was, <laughs> I don't know very much about very much. I'm not... I have a bachelor's in agriculture, so I can tell you about how to analyze a soil sample, but I'm not a scholar of religious tradition or of culture. I don't know all the theory of the left or of postmodernism, but I'm curious about all these things. And so when you talked about the idea of trying to find people who do know about interesting things and have novel perspectives and talking to them and especially getting them to talk to each other, that's what really made me feel like this is a project that I wanted to help get off the ground and at least see it happen, whatever my role in it might be. So I'm really excited about those things. Yeah, and I mean, I had the same thing talking uh, when Ken first brought to me and the three of us started first talking together, that none of us felt like we were at all qualified to talk about yeah, anything. This is amateur hour. Um, and, you know, like, you know, my background, as much as I rip on, like, the – tradcaths as being medieval LARPers like I, I literally have a I went to graduate school for medieval <laughs> studies like I'm the worst hypocritical most hypocritical piece of shit about this um so you can be a consultant for the LARPers I can't yes um I I, I can <laughs> I can you know just lay on the pedantry until one of them stabs me with their like fake sword at which point I will correct them that actually the Vikings didn't have <laughs> handles like that on their oh, um, but anyway, no. But no, I mean, I think there is something you said that we are we are all in a new world now, especially in America post Trump. Um, you know, I, I was kind of thinking about you know when Nietzsche talks about how we've killed God, like we basically replaced God with like the idea of a respectable bureaucratic state, and we just killed that God too. Like there's, <laughs> so we're, we're, we're in, you know, a new, a, a braver new, new world now, um, which none of us have any expertise uh, or history really to speak on, like how we're, we're going to have to do this whole thing again, which again, going back to the religious tradition provides us with, I think, at least a foundation. But I don't know that I would trust anyone who says they know what's going on right now entirely. Sure. Sure. And yeah, one of the things that I wanted to do in kind of formulating a, a, a vision of a post-liberal future that was constructive um, is reach out to people who have done interesting thinking on issues of uh, secularism or interesting thinking on issues uh, related to political economy or, or culture or whatever. Um, journalists and scholars, for sure, but, uh, but also, uh, you know, artists and uh, craftspeople or whomever else. Um, sort of out, outside of the traditional sphere of uh, punditry, I guess, mm. or, or opinion, um, which I hope will kind of uh, define 
um, what's kind of new and interesting that that we're hoping to bring to the table with this project. Yeah, and kind of un underrepresented hoping... voices. Right, right, and we're hoping to not just talk to people who look at sort of weird angles on culture and thought and politics, but people who've delved into different sort of off the beaten path ways of experiencing or living in those other spaces. For sure. And that'll be a really interesting uh, perspective to, to bring into the conversation, mm -hmm. not just the analytic, but the experiential. For sure. So what do we have lined up? Well, I, I think at this point, the episodes that we've either you know, already started to work on or we have scheduled. So we've already uh, had the opportunity to talk to uh, Jonathan Peugeot, who's a Quebecois, I think. Is that yeah, Quebecois. Yeah. Uh, Orthodox uh, iconographer um, who ta you know, was talking to us not just about the work he does, but about sort of how religious art brings you into that fringe world of the weird where you have angels made of wheels of eyes and dog headed saints and all of these things. But, you know, he also really got into some very interesting philosophical stuff for me uh, about the understanding the logos of the world and the patterns that he sees everywhere from religious artwork to uh, just the current weird behaviors, you know, as much as I say, I don't know anyone who can explain what's going on right now. He at least had, I think, some really interesting ideas um, in his exegesis of the sort of internet alt-right uh, figures. Yeah. You, sh you, you know these guys. You should probably ex be explaining. <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> Sorry. So we're on the cusp of recording an episode with um, Elizabeth Stoker Brunig. And Dr. William Cavanaugh, um, two people who have done a lot of thinking on um, religion and public life, and um, sort of the, the the origins of modernity and the origins of secularism and liberalism on religion in the Trump era, and the future of the patterns of um, civic religion and of Christianity um, in the upcoming years. And a little bit down the line, we're going to be speaking to a friend of mine on his undergraduate research on the first Liberian Civil War and on the figure of General Butt Naked, which, uh, which should be wild. Some, some conversations about the ways in which um, religion and ecstatic experience sort of uh, plays the roles that the legitimizing institution of liberalism um, attempt to play, but often fail. So I'm looking forward very much to digging into some of this stuff in the coming weeks. And then we're going to do episodes centered on each of us so that the listener can find out where we're each coming from in a little more depth and also we'll each pull in some work of writing or uh, cinema or something like that that will help shed some light on how we confront our position in the modern world and the incursion of the weird into that. And I think, you know, overall we've talked that we're going to try and have a, a good mix of different types of episodes uh, where we, you know, have people on who can talk to us about their work and, you know, some background qualifications uh, in related subjects. And also episodes where I think it's us a little more informal, just, you know, something that's happened this week or one of us digs up an essay, something that we find interesting that we all sit down and just do some recording talking about our our reaction to it and having a bit of fun with that. <laughs> And we're going to be open, too, to 
um, participation from our audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're always we'll always be interested in interested in hearing questions and reading and answering those on air or subjects that people want to talk about. And even if people would like to come on and have a conversation uh, that's recorded that we can put out about what they're up to or some interesting thing that they found that they think would be a worthy topic for us to take down. And I think it's fair just to say to people who, you know, might have something interesting to share with us, you know, since none of us have any real credentials for this, I don't, you know, I don't think we're expecting anyone to have, you know, a CV lined up to show us. Like if, if you have something that you think would be good and interesting to talk about, and want to come and have a chat with us one evening, I think that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's no disguising the fact that the three of us met through the corner of Twitter that <laughs> is known as Weird Catholic <laughs> Twitter. And I think all of us and probably a lot of the people in that part of the world would just be interested in finding out more about who's behind these usernames that we see all the time. So that kind of just easygoing um, four-person banter would be fun to do too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mentioned in a previous recording session that, I mean, we are we certainly kind of are embedded in a, in a particular subculture. And then I had seen very little in the way of formal kind of media resources put out by folks in that sphere. And so I wanted to kind of provide something in the way of, of that. So I'd love to just kind of provide a, a forum for discussions. Ken, can you tell us about where the title for the show came from? Yeah, so we went with uh, Wayward with an E, which was a spelling uh, of, of the word weird as in weird sisters in one of the first folio editions of Macbeth um, that presumably would have been pronounced weird. Um, but the, the sort of ambiguity between weird and wayward, weird uh, has an old English etymology relating to sort of cosmology and happenstance uh, and fate, whereas uh, wayward um, has the sort of prevailing connotation of transgression Mm. and so there's been some ink spilled on uh why that orthography emerged early in uh in Macbeth's publishing history Uh, and i thought it was kind of an interesting uh tagline that kind of encapsulated a lot of our a lot of the subjects that we had expressed interest in um the way that it kind of uh, straddles the the, sort of a, a confluence um in terms of religion and transgression and um, like liminality and history, I thought was uh, apropos. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of what we decided upon. Uh, also how it fits in with the way everyone in weird Twitter just randomly misspells stuff to be funny. That's <laughs> <laughs> just because I'm a moron, actually. Yeah, it's, it's ironic. Love to spell weird. That's T-O-O. <laughs> with uh, extra W's and Y's. <laughs> but, I mean, that is one of those areas that I find, like, that, even that kind of falls into my vision of weird behavior when people don't get kind of a good, healthy foundation for how to experience kind of that, that part of just being human in the world. Um, you know, everything from backing, you know, like, fascist man babies for president down to like shit posting on Twitter because you know, it's pointless and you know, like you're intentionally screwing everything up and being dumb. There's, there's no way to really explain. I can't imagine what it'd be like to try and explain to someone 
why I'm intentionally using two T O O, not two. But like, uh, it's because I saw at fart do it. <laughs> I don't want to be at fart. <laughs> but you know, just that instinct to, just, that? to go online and do weird, dumb stuff, just because uh, I'm so like I get uh, as much as I like my job, like I just get bored during the day sometimes. Sure. Well, it's, it's it's ecstatic in a sense, right? It yeah. kind of mimics ecstatic religious experience. Literally the same thing. <laughs> sure. It's exactly <laughs> the, the same thing. thing. Well, something something that occurred to me just now is that I mean we're 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 pulling on a uh, an orthographical variation um, that sort of predates the standardization of the language. This is something we talked about with with Jonathan Pajot was is about kind of the um, the ways in which. Um, postmodernism or, or sort of information age um, relationships between persons and text are, are almost mimic in a sense uh, pre-modern relationships to text right the ways this kind of uh, you know orthographical variance and uh, the kind of cut and paste nature of things right so uh, that's something that I think is is interesting in, in this kind of new medievalism uh-huh. With regard to our relationship to text, um, and I think it's a kind of a neat shorthand for that concept. Maybe before we go any further, yeah, we can point. talk a little about about what we specifically mean by weird. Sure, I can start that out. To me, um, it's a really broad concept in my own mind. I by weird, I just mean anything that's outside of what's prescribed and acceptable and expected. And that's everything from the strange spellings of weird Twitter to a severe religious rule like the Carthusians to the oddball theories of the flat earthers. Anything that's not normal, mainstream, liberal, American, modern, capitalist life and all that stuff is fair game to be the weird. And it makes incursions into our life, but it can also be a sort of a territory that we reach out into to seek so when you say creativity. you know kind of opposed to the modern liberal american capitalist life do you mean specifically to just this society in this society or whatever society you might find yourself in would the the weird still be kind of the same or would it be different in those cases yeah i suppose it, it would be fairly similar in those cases i mean the expressions of the weird that I'm looking for are specifically in opposition to, to the normal, mm-hmm. I guess, for us. So where, well, I mean, even LARPing itself, right. you know, we, we use LARPing as a punchline, but I mean, I think LARPing is probably a fine hobby and it, it is a way for people to reach into a odd different space that uh, is a way to find creativity and expression and uh, new possibility. So so it's an official endorsement of LARPing. From, sure. Uh, I'm out. I mean, I've never done it. I quit. I'm done. I'm, I'm not a nerd, but <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. No, I think it actually looks like it would be fun. Um, so the expressions of the weird, I think, necessarily probably have to be in opposition to the normative culture you find yourself in. But the general meaning of the weird doesn't. And then there are some things that are inherently always weird for humans, and that's that's the transcendent. Yeah, I maybe want to uh, contest that slightly, because I mean I, I tend to think similarly in terms of um, kind of imaginative experience that cuts against against the grain of mundane life. 
But I think that's one of the things that interests a lot of people, myself included, about kind of pre-modernity is the proximity of daily life to things that do cut against mundane, right? I mean, the the fact that just sort of the commonplaceness of um, grotesque motifs, motifs, excuse me, in in medieval art or um, ecstatic ritual practice or whatever, um, I, I think that we're in some sense unique with regards to our distance from this kind of... Uh, strange and imaginative experiences. Mm. And so I think that there are things that are kind of transhistorically weird um, that we stand, uh, that, that our, our culture kind of uh, prescribes a particular distance or, or requires a certain distance from. Yeah, I think... If that, is, that, is that coherent at all? I think so. I, I, that would be an interesting thing to pursue further later on. I mean, there's lots of expressions of the weird and the ecstatic in our culture but they're usually in the frame of works of art and culture and i think probably even more importantly in the frame of transacted experiences where you're paying to see murder on a screen or you're paying to go to a concert where you're dancing your ass off but at some point the lights turn on the show's over and you have to leave because you only paid to use that space for a certain amount of time. Right. And so it's extremely separated from everything else that you did that day. And it's within the context of a commercial transaction and the frame of, of art rather than being right. an integral part of life. Like right. those monsters aren't real. You, you don't think if I go far enough towards the horizon, I'm actually going to see the thing mm. that I'm looking at in the painting. For me. Right yeah. There's certainly, I use the word weird pretty usefully to mean, terrifying outside that Kent's kind of talking about that I think pre-modern societies like you said were just it was a much more it was a much closer part of their lives to the the outside and imagine it kind of is almost like a psychological sort of thing the the unknowable other um, which is just fundamentally an idea wholly opposed to uh, modernism where you know everything is quantifiable and explainable yeah. on that there Subject is just this terrifying you know the the outside this terrifying place where the monsters live and all of that um, sure but you know I, i'm also particularly interested in it as a human need and where i see a lot of the more insidious kind of violence of modernism is the internal part where you know, any any need for abnormality is treated as abnormal, and that that now is bad. You know, the the, the most simplistic way is the sort of you know he taught me to be weird. It's okay to be different. It's okay to be weird, sort of thing. <laughs> but like, but I think you know there is something to be said that humanity, like one of the you know transcendental experiences, are fundamental to the to what it is to be human. Um, and there's a lot of different ways to experience that. I think there are healthy and unhealthy ways. Um, and what what modernism, I think, has consistently tried to do is insist that there are, in fact, no transcendental experiences and what you feel is, in fact, this easily reductible blah, 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 blah sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you accept it because that's the not insane, un, you know, irrational thing 
to do, but there's always that part ticking in the back of your head where, okay, yes, I understand that, you know, my thoughts are connected to a series of, you know, neurons firing that can be mapped onto this image of my brain and all this sort of stuff. But I think mo even, you know, most materialists really under the gun, I think, struggle with saying that is the entirety of who I am. Um, I mean, re respect for guys like Dan Dennett who just go all in and be like, there's no experience. I don't know what you think <laughs> is going on. Um, and I, I will always respect a man who's willing to die on a stupid hill. So, um, but no, but I think, you know, that, that is kind of, and what, what I see a lot of the time with these, a lot of these things, even like the temporary things of, you know, sort of really crazy music over the top music shows, like people it, it's in you like that instinct to need that transcendental terrifying weird experience but everything we've built around us is trying to kill that off it was interesting Zip, that you mentioned um carthusians right i guess this is is something that um is maybe a good demonstration of, of my thinking on our relationship to French experience versus the pre-modern relationship to French experience is like for most of the middle ages, you had this kind of really interesting tension between the relationship of a monastery to village communities, right? Like most, a lot of places in Europe and Eastern Europe and, and um, Eastern Roman empire, whatever, like monasteries had some kind of relationship to a city or to a village community. And so they weren't really desert communities so much, right? But, continually through the, the history of the Middle Ages, you have these processes by which monastic communities are sort of continually reforming themselves. And the reason that they're reforming themselves is to get greater distance from the world. Um, and so there's a sense in which you have... It, I mean, monasticism wasn't... I, I almost don't want to use the word socially acceptable, right? Because it has to do with, re, with rejection of um, norms. But it, it had a... a a, prescri a prescribed place in public life and a recognized and important place in public mm -hmm. life and was also sort of it was valued for its its um, strangeness it was valued for its distance from mundane reality and it was continually reaffirming that fact and there's kind of that that interesting tension that's played out all throughout the history of the middle ages between that centrality to public life and the desire for distance mm -hmm. that i think is like I'm trying to think if we have maybe a comparable phenomenon, hmm. uh, but I think that it's it's like maybe one of the um, markers of kind of Christianity being worked out over the course of the Middle Ages. Yeah, there was always a real big tension that was also expressed in the kind of in the way that every reform was eventually normalized right at first by being patronized by people who valued the weirdness of it or you know the piety of it and the prayerfulness and all that but then that brought money and that brought prestige went which meant that it became not a shameful or unfortunate thing for your son to go do but a privileged thing for your son to go do and a safe way to secure your mm -hmm. future in the world and then eventually enough monks in one of those monasteries would get fed up with that and try to make it weird again. And there was this continuing right. cycle of um, 
the the normal encroaching into the weird and the weird separating itself off again and again. I don't know. I wonder if in mo- in the modern context, maybe art and particularly popular music is where we see that. Yeah. Right. Right. Like in rock and roll, one of the I think social functions that the sort of cliched rock star provides is being sort of an an avatar for the desire to be extreme and outside the bounds mm-hmm. of all mm-hmm. that all the fans have. But eventually mm-hmm. Chuck Berry isn't <laughs> accomplishing that anymore. So you need uh, Robert Plant to take it up a notch and then uh, Iggy Pop and Sid Vicious and, you know, eventually yeah. I think we've gotten to the point where maybe it's beyond <laughs> the bounds of human, like the human body to, take it any further <laughs> well it wouldn't I mean, gg allen i guess is the terminus yeah. well i'm trying to think of when the last time we had like a high profile transgressive rock band was like i think a lot of that stuff has has sort of been displaced onto pop music i think lady gaga sort of does that that's one of her projects mm. but i mean like a, a lot of kind of you know, Kiss was high profile, right? Right. And it, even even as recent as like Marilyn Manson, like Marilyn Manson made the news. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Do I guess, yeah, I guess even Marilyn Manson days, people were worried that he was going to like make their kids Satanists. Yeah. So yeah. So I guess he, yeah, he still had some of that, that inspiring that fear that late. Yeah. I think rock and roll is pretty much, I mean, it's old people music at this point. <laughs> Several people try to convince me that, rock and roll. you know, sort of really nerdy conservatism is in fact the new punk rock. So, uh... <laughs> well, I think a lot of that um, social role has been transposed onto, like you said, pop and also onto hip hop and mm. electronic music. And, you know, obviously in the 90s with gangster rap and then Eminem just upping the ante as far as violence and transgressiveness in that way, um, openly celebrating um, the drug culture, drug dealing as a livelihood, or at least talking about it. I don't know if celebrating it's a fair way to say it in a way that really scared people and right. continues to scare Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, like the next level now with um, people like Kanye West and some of the younger rappers is becoming more androgynous and pushing the boundaries of yeah. what masculinity is. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, young thug and uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right. Vaporwave has vaporwave has kind of crossed over into mainstream hip hop, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the other thing I was going to say too, then in the electronic world where the musician disappears or becomes, um, like an entity, you know, where a lot of these vaporwave artists, we have no idea who they are, and they're just an aesthetic and an aesthetic composed of a mix of like retro futurism and the most annoying things of the 80s and 90s turned into the core of an aesthetic um, in an effort to find something new and something in a way transgressive. Like right. taking easy listening, easy listening music from the mall in 1991, and making that be your whole album with some editing, <laughs> is a, a definitely a, st- a kind of transgression. 
Well, so it's interesting. We've been talking all about consumer experience, mm. right? I mean, largely the histories that we're talking about here, I mean, the, the, the sort of ascendance of Eminem or whatever, is of these kind of fringe experiences penetrating um, mass consumption and like being marketed and becoming... I mean, these are all consumer products. These are all mediated by like the means of kind of consumer decision. Yeah. So what, <laughs> which is different in a certain sense from the medieval church with grotesque iconography as a public works project or from, um, I don't know, the kind of relationship with monasticism we were talking about. So what if we were to have a, a, a more constructive relationship to fringe experience and to ecstatic experience and to sort of weird fringes of our culture, what, I mean, do you think that that consumer, a consumer relationship is the most uh, constructive relationship to have to that stuff? I want to say no, but I'm not sure how to say no <laughs> um, beyond that. Well, so maybe that's the project of this podcast. I mean, right, I think yeah, as, exactly. as far as I'm, I'm trying really hard not to use the be consumed by pun, um, but something that basically you just take in that you can't control that it, it it's presented to you and you, you have to take it as is. Cause I think that's one of the things that's very terrifying about weird fringe things to us now that we can't read up about it on the internet beforehand prep you know, have a full understanding before we encounter it the first time. It's the unknown, the fundamentally terrifying and uncontrollable. So I think, you know, it is an experience that I don't think just by definition, you can really impact the weird. It's pretty much a, a, a one directional experience. And also because it just can't be controlled and quantified in how you consume it. I think at least, you know, our understandings of consumer culture, it, it's going to have to defy in every regard because it's not, it's not going to be a tap that you can turn on and off and decide just how much and what flavor of weird you want. It's you go out into the wilderness and you either die of dysentery or meet God on the 40th day. And you don't know which one it's going to be. So no, I don't think it can be a consumer thing because our understanding of consumer is that you get to pick what kind and for how long well but i guess i guess my point is that it is right like our relationship to fringe experience is a consumer relationship at present right that's how, that's right like w everything that we've been talking about is has been sort of the the progressive um kind of commodification of fringe experience and then it, these kind of fringe experiences pop up around it in response to the commodification of the thing that was yeah. Uh, most recently fringe and then those things get commodified and so it's getting the, the sort of sphere sphere of commodity is pushing is kind of expanding out into the periphery and i guess maybe the ultimate the kind of the the end of that dialectic process is the like the western isis recruit right like there's no <laughs> there's no it's it's the ultimate anti-consumer right. <laughs> experience is to just you know sign up for something uh that you can never be prepared for in this kind of ultimate self-immolation. You both follow Piss Pig Granddad, right? Yeah, yeah of course. Okay. Uh, the anti-white, the anti-Western ISIS. I mean, Western I anti-ISIS. Yeah, he, he, he's very, he's very anti-ISIS. But for anyone yes. listening to this who doesn't, a guy on who's a 
reasonably large figure, I think, on weird Twitter in general, just started posting a bunch of photos of him getting on a plane and flying and then, like, didn't post anything for a few months. And I guess he joined – what is, is it? Uh, YPG. YPG, that's it. He joined the, the YPG in Syria. Um, Which is the socialist Kurdish militia. And now he shoots at ISIS, um, which is pretty much like I don't I don't understand how all the conservative Twitter accounts haven't just logged off in shame at this point. Because um, you, you have like a communist from San Francisco <laughs> who was like – he was a florist before he went to do this. I don't know if you guys knew that. Um, so he was literally a flower <laughs> dude from San Francisco yeah. who like learned how to shoot rpgs and now like fights isis um, well but okay we're you were saying he's a florist but he was also a punk right like he was also true, yeah, he, he was, a, was also in like in like the hardcore scene right, right but I, so I, this is this is a confirmation of my thesis that like yeah, his, going his, to his, going to fight in the syrian civil war <laughs> but it's a confirmation of my thesis that like going to fight as a western recruit in the syrian civil war is like the the <laughs> the end synthesis of punk rock <laughs> Well, see, both of those sort of extreme steps of either joining ISIS or joining the anti-ISIS of the YPG, I think reflect on sort of the same type of thing that we're doing here, which is, and that the only, I think the internet really makes possible, at least to many of us now, is that all of culture is participatory in a way that it didn't used to be. Right. And you started this little part of the conversation out, Ken, asking if the weird has been reduced to a consumer experience or a uh, commercial experience. And I think the internet, first of all, opens up the chance for artists like Lil B, who I know you're a fan of, (laughs) who I don't know if he has made anything that you even can buy, but certainly he got his fame for putting out a ton of, (laughs) just a shit ton of free music. Right. But then only because he did it in a way that created a whole huge fandom that could interact with him and with each other in the comments of YouTube pretty much. Yeah. And Twitter and weird Twitter have been a similar thing where it's purely consumeristic, but it's not transactional in that way. So we're consuming a whole bunch of free content and it is framed and curated by our own desires. We're not being subjected to it. It's not like a weirdness outside of our own choice, but you see people, making so I'm not joking, but I think there's some truth to it, comments about your brain being broken by online. Yeah. And when you're just bathing in this world of intentional irony and misspelling and um, sometimes misanthropy or outrage provocation, it does change you. It changes the way you see everything else in your life. And so new, even as limited as we are, in where we'll allow weirdness to enter our lives and where our world allows it in. People are finding new ways, some extreme and, and some harmful and some uh, arguably not harmful and not extreme to start to engage in a way that is transforming, even if we're not aware of it or we don't intend it to be transforming. We tend intend it to be only an act of consumption, but in fact it does change who we are and how we see things. I mean, sure. due to... Me just because I didn't know anyone uh, from weird Twitter when I showed up. Um, it was because I used I was using Twitter mostly just for sports stats, and I started following a handful of writers that I liked, and through them discovered sort of left Twitter and weird Twitter. And then I logged on one day, and like half the people I followed were 
just completely losing their shit on some Catholic writer I'd never heard of before. Um, and that's how I discovered Catholic Twitter. <laughs> so that was great. I, 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 I know Felix from Chapo follows all the people from Catholic Twitter on his all. Um, so when, when he listens to this, I just wanted to say thank you. Um, without you, Felix, I would never have discovered the trad cats on Twitter. So this this has been very edifying for me, <laughs> but like, it, it's also how I wound up as part of, you know, talking to you guys about this project, which has been one of the more interesting, certainly some of the more interesting conversations I've had in a while. So it, 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 I, I, I am aware of the, uh, the irony of the fact that I started using Twitter to basically be more or less nihilistic. Um, like this, this is, because I was always online messing around that I stumbled into stumbled into this. So nihilism works. That's 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 my lesson for this week. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, <laughs> I'm gonna go to bed. Have a good okay. night. Good night, guys. Okay. Take care. And now the news. <laughs>
vacation. I mean, I'm trying to do right, but hey. Life after Bush and Gorbachev. The wall is down, but something is lost. Turn on the news, it looks like a movie. It makes me wanna sing Louie Louie. So it's been Volcells versus Cucks, basically. <laughs> oh, uh, like, like it's supposed to be a joke, but that that actually literally is Western. No, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's yeah, Volcells and Cucks all the way down. <laughs>